Welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm your host, Alex Lewis. This week, we're joined, as we are every first Monday of the month, by Han Chung, a features reporter for the Taipei Times. Han writes the weekly series, Taiwan in Time. Taiwan in Time, a column about Taiwan's history that is published every Sunday, spotlights important or interesting events around the nation that have anniversaries this week. Han, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So today we're going to talk about the articles that you wrote for Taiwan in Time for November. Uh-huh. All right, so can you start yeah. off with just telling me, uh, if you had to pick one article, what would you want to highlight? Which one would you highlight? Okay, if I had to highlight one... It's a hard choice. I like all, I like all of them this week, but uh, I guess I really had to look at one that was really interesting. I think it was like the, the island of the demon realm was... Uh, one of my favorite ones to research. Because okay, so you're picking that one because it was the most fun to research. Yeah, it was more fun to research, and it was really interesting because, like, a lot of people who don't like living in Taiwan are unsatisfied with the current situation. Call it Gui Dao, you know, like Demon Island. Wait, really? Uh, this is my yeah. first time hearing that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, so yeah it's a could you tell me about that? Term with like, you know, like young people were just dissatisfied with Taiwan. I don't particularly agree with the term or the attitude, but it is a term that's being used. Mm -hmm. And this actually traces it back to like 100 years ago where it was used under a completely different context. So I thought that was a really interesting connection between like today and uh, back then. Because back then it was literally a demon island because of all the diseases and all those um, people came and they would just die of like... Uh, cholera and like other other diseases. Okay, so they they kind of like reappropriated the term for right now. Obviously, for yeah, less well, for less know. dire reasons, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if people even know about like the connection between the two. But like where it actually comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People just came up with that because they they're not unhappy. But like, yeah, I didn't even know. And then I I kind of looked back and I was like, wow, they called it the same thing, like. 100 years ago. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about the etymology of where the term comes from? It's like a Japanese term. Uh, so when the Japanese first took over Taiwan, it was like full of all kinds of like different diseases. I mean, there was like cholera, there was like uh, dysentery, there was uh, there was even plague and um, outbreaks all the time. Taiwan became like a kind of like a island of the demon realm because like the, they would just die when they came here. I mean, uh, when the Japan first, this was before they even took over Taiwan, they came to Taiwan to on a like punitive uh, mission to punish like the some Aborigines who like killed a bunch of Japanese sailors, and um, as a result, like only twelve people died in battle, while five hundred and fifty died to disease. They were like it was kind of like a pretty scary place to go to because of the, all of the diseases that were going on. So actually, like, sanitation and public health was one of the first uh, priorities for the Japanese when they took over Taiwan. Because, uh, that because was, of uh, all the plague and all the that diseases. That was causing, yeah, more people to die than, like, the local uh, local military resistance. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I, I found that really fascinating, and it was something I knew nothing about. So how did so, you go about researching for it? There were some studies on it and documents on public health because Taiwan had a few cholera outbreaks over the over the twentieth century. Mm -hmm. there, there were quite a few, so there were like 
a lot of papers on all of them. The last one was in 1962. So. Oh, really? And would these papers reference the um, the the Guidao? Yeah, one of them did. Actually, it was a it was a news report. It was like a central news agency news report that was looking back at uh, the you know all the diseases in Japanese rule and early days of Japanese rule, and they just mentioned that yeah, the Guijits, the Dao, or like Guidao. It's pretty straightforward, but it was just uh, surprising to look at how. Um, yeah, like public health wasn't really a big thing until they really started enforcing and getting like vaccines, and and it was really hard to convince people to get vaccines back then. Yeah, hey, it is now in America, right? It is now again in America. So yeah, I thought that was, full circle. That was like interesting. Yeah, so full circle. So I know there were a lot of interesting points about this one. Yeah, there's a kind of parallels from now and then, and and there were like some surprising things, like the Beehive Festival was actually. Um, the Yen Shui Beehive Festival and, and Tainan, the fireworks festival. The Beehive Festival, that has a connection with the Guidao era? Yeah, 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 because they were using, it was like during a really bad epidemic, and they had to use that festival to, you know, like, they wanted to use that to chase away the the diseases through the ritual. So that's that's why they started, and then it kind of morphed into the form it is today. Like, that arose from all the diseases that were, like, ravaging Taiwan. I see. In the late uh, 1880s. Okay. So tell me about the article that was maybe like the hardest to research, you know, like it was the most, most arduous process. Does anything come to mind or was it kind of mostly smooth sailing this month? Yeah, I, I think it was pretty smooth sailing this month, actually. Cause, uh... Pretty smooth sailing. All right. Are most months like that? You know, if you, like, think back to just recent months or just in general over, like, your three-year span of writing uh, Taiwan right. in time. Some of, some of them were pretty pretty difficult because, uh, you know, like, it's it's hard to... There's, like, bits and pieces you have to get from different places. And then uh, sometimes you just have, like, one burning question and then you just... None of the articles or, like, the research or material can answer that. So that's kind of, like... Uh, so sometimes it could take a while just if there's just one question. Like, because I try to, like, answer everything so the readers don't have questions. So I shouldn't have any questions. So when I do it, like, I have to get to the bottom of everything. Um, so when I don't, then I'll just keep looking until I do. And it could take quite a while. I think this time it was, like, pretty smooth, actually. Okay. So, like, I think what you're saying is, like, uh, you don't want your articles to be dictated by the evidence that you can gather easily, right? You want to make sure you cover everything instead of yeah, 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 yeah. evidence tell sure, the story. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because um, yeah, because if I have a question, the reader's going to have a question. So. Right, right. Like, why didn't you talk um, about so, this so aspect? I better know, know, know like my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so I think last month you're we were talking, and you said that you uh, were inspired by like recent events in your life to write an article about such and such time in uh, Taiwan history. Uh, did that happen oh, right, this right. month? Actually, yeah, it did. Actually. Um, All right. Tell me about that. Yeah, so actually I climbed uh, Yushan, so Mount Jade, in, um, back in October. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was a really cool experience. And, um, so, and there were some things, that, some interesting things up there that I was like intrigued by, like the history of the mountain, like, because uh, it's, it's the highest in like Northeast Asia. And uh, it had a lot of different names. Um, from time to time, there was like Mount Morrison, which the Westerners called it, and then um, there was a bunch of like Japanese shrines 
on the mountain, and uh, there was like lots of history, bits, like bits of history here and there. There was like a pass where this American diplomat or um, official in Taiwan like fell to his death, and there's a marker there. So I started looking into it, and I found that um, yeah. So the mountain was named after a lot of different things throughout history. So I, I thought that was really interesting to look at and um so that was kind of inspired i mean it, it did coincide with a date but i think that was mostly inspired by me like climbing the climbing the mountain and then wanting to know more about it so that that's kind of how i go about my topics too it's like a recent experience you know like had some questions wanted to know more and which article does this coincide with this is uh the great floods uh imperial edict and uh defaced statue Basically, the history of the naming of uh, Yushan. So it went from, like, you know, its original Aboriginal name to, like, Ni Takayama, which is, like, the new high mountain, because mm-hmm. it was, like, the biggest... It was taller than Mount Fuji, so they just named it New High Mountain. But it was such a big deal that the emperor had to, like, personally name it. And, uh, and yes, and it was a holy mountain to the Aboriginal. So I wanted to know, like, their connection with the, with the mountain, because it, it is Aboriginal territory. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all the workers on there at the lodge and the people bringing the food up, they're all mostly Aboriginals. So I was looking at their connection, and then I found a lot of interesting legends um, related to that mountain. So I started from the legends, and then I went on to uh, more modern times. And, um, well, I always like looking at legends and how different people look at what mountain and then, you know, like the truth or the real parts, like the, the facts behind the, the legends, because there's always some truth in every legend. So, yeah, so that, that was really fun to do. That was, that was probably the most fun to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it also coincided with your life, right? Yeah, 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 yeah it did. So that, that's always the best, uh, the best part of the articles is, is when I can, like, actually look up something that I recently did Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, yeah. can you tell me about maybe like the um, the myth, the legend, or you know the story that maybe most spoke to you, or you thought was it was the most interesting, or anything like that? Uh, most interesting was uh, it was the legend of the Bunong, Bunong and Chou uh, Aborigines, and uh, so they shared this legend that they were once there was a great flood, and so this is like a common myth in a lot of cultures, like the great flood. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a great flood, and only the top of uh, Jade Mountain was left. So they were all living up there, and then, um, so all their their legends like specified that they were living together up there at some point. But the different thing was like the Zhou people believed they were like they originated on the mountain, whereas the Bunong actually went there to you know take refuge from the flood, and then um, so. Most legends have it that there was, like, a giant snake that was clogging up, like, a major river, and then a crab or a pig uh, defeated the snake, and then the water started to recede, and then the people split up and went their own ways. And so that explains kind of their distribution today, uh-huh. which actually matches some of the historical records. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. I really like looking at, yeah, how legends correspond to history. That sounds really cool. Uh, you kind of yeah. like read about these legends or hear about them, and then uh, you kind of maybe you take them at face value, or you kind of just like dismiss them as just you know folklore right. or something like that. But there's actual impact, right? 
yeah, like we don't know if there was actually a flood or something, but they they do share close ties, and all these like the two people share a lot of like they're they're almost identical these legends, um, even though they live in like separate places today. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, okay. Very cool. Yeah, that was, that was cool. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about, like your writing process uh, or, or or anything like that? Anything about the articles that you want to talk about? Let's see what else was there. The price of free speech. Mm. I think that was really interesting because... Uh, That's a big one. Yeah, I've written a lot about um, censorship and I've researched newspapers and, you know, like uh, I used I wrote one about newspaper people disappearing after 228 and uh, a lot of censorship, a lot of, uh, they couldn't really write what they wanted to and the government would like try to shut you down and they really tried to crack down on this paper but it it kept going until, um, yeah, the editor was arrested, uh, like, like even the sales staff, they were harassed and yeah, they just cracked down on just free speech. Anybody associated with it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this this paper was, um, you know, like it was pretty outspoken about um, the KMT and um, its, you know, lack of democracy back then. So they were really calling for uh, democracy, free speech, like elections, and they were kept criticizing. And then uh, when Leighton He's a former KMT politician. He tried to start a new party. This this paper like backed him mm-hmm. where there was still a party ban, new party ban back then due due to martial law. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this kind of like just highlights how how much people struggled and they risked their life. Um, they risked jail time. Some were in there for like more than a decade. Really? Wow. Yeah, so they were trying to do this. Uh, basically, they were pretty optimistic in the beginning. They were like, Taiwan is finally free from Japanese rule, and we will be our own masters now, and so we're, we're going to use like this paper. And then quickly they realized things weren't as rosy as they thought it would be. I think uh, I think this is a really important piece because I think a lot of people forget about uh, where their current rights and freedoms come from. Right? People had a you know, sacrifice to to get these rights and these freedoms and sometimes die, sometimes go to jail, you know? Um, yeah, everywhere, yeah, yeah, everywhere. yeah, yeah. Not just yeah. in Taiwan, you know, um, the eight-hour workday in the five-hour work week, right? People died for that. You know, little things yeah. like that. So, you know, just press freedom, be able to read the Taipei Times and uh, for the for the journalists to write what they, whatever they want to write about. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a big deal. And it was like, it's still like encouraging that in those days, this still managed, this paper still managed to survive for that long. And, you know, the, the founder's house was even suspiciously burnt down at one point. And, uh, I mean, nobody really knows what really happened, but it was branded as a paper with, like, improper rhetoric. And they, they, but they, they couldn't, like, really just shut it down. They just kept harassing them. And the way, and, like, they interfere with their, like, advertising, and they, they use all kinds of different ways to try to, like, shut this paper down. But, like, I think the guy had money because he was a pretty uh, big politician and he had all these business interests. So he was able to keep the paper afloat. And, yeah, so, like, when people complain about free speech these days, you got to look at, like, back then, um, you know, 
now you can say anything you want. Yeah. Basically, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to remember where that came from. And it, this wasn't like that too long ago. That yeah, when was this? This was in the 1950s. I mean, the paper started uh, in 1947, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, no, no, 1946 or 1947. Like a couple years, just, just one or two years after uh, you know, the end of Japanese rule. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, all Chinese papers were banned at the tail end of the Japanese era. So, um, yeah, so this wasn't that long ago. And this kind of, and, and he lost. Like, they, they had to shut it down. And then uh, the, some KMT member took it over and then made it his paper and then ran it for a couple of years and then, you know, sold it to the United Daily News. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So, so we really have to value our freedoms now because, like, this guy had the money, he had the resources, he but but he was still shut down. He, was, he, he still had to shut down. Okay. And, wow. Yeah. So, but now now it's like if you're persistent enough, you can pretty much get your voice heard. Yeah, absolutely. A huge difference between the times, and you got to remember that it was not like it just looks at how drastically Taiwan has changed. It takes generations to change these things. The Taiwan managed to do it in like half a century um, with the other rights and other things that are coming up. So it's it's pretty amazing to look back at these times and, you know, how oppressive life was here. We shouldn't take it for granted, right? Yeah, yeah, we should never take it for granted. And, like, reading about Taiwan's pretty recent history still shows that, I mean, I've... Up to the 80s and 90s, there was still a lot of... Uh, that was just the very beginning of democracy and free speech and being able to voice your opinion and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So when you criticize Taiwan, you also think about how, how far it's gone. Thank you.